Always good to be here. Always good. Thank you for inviting me back down here to be with you, to worship with you, to, and to, to preach God's Word. Thank you, Bill, for staying in contact all these years. It was a, it was a nice drive down here from Bellingham this, this morning and, and then to be greeted here so, so uh, pleasantly by Carl and Marilyn, I believe it was. And anyway, Linda and I so enjoy being here after 41 years here. I was just uh, in, in high school when I was here before as a pastor. <laughs> Uh, don't believe that. Yeah, well, anyway, thank you for the, the singing. We enjoy being in your midst, but we also appreciate the Pastor Samuel and the worship team and, and the great singing here as well as we lift our, our voices in praise to, to our great God. And, and uh, I know that you have been studying through the letter of Paul to the Colossians here as of late, and I've been given chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 today. But earlier we sang that great, that great anthem, Be Thou My Vision, and, and uh, that one verse especially uh, kind of jumped out here this week. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance now and always, thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure thou art. And that really is the theme of the book of Colossians. Thou and thy only first in our hearts. I'm going to be in chapter 3, but I'm going to read just a little bit from chapter 2 here, verse 15, where it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. And then here it is, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. That is the quest of the Christian life, is it not? Yeah, we must underline that in our minds, in red certainly, and determine and delight to let this happen in our lives today, every day, all day long, all of our days. That is, to give Jesus first place in everything. He is preeminent, and as his body, we have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, and that sacred and that, and that favored position ought to have ripple effects to those we rub shoulders with. So I'm in chapter 3 now, and I'm going to be focusing upon mostly on 12 through 17. So Colossians 3, 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What a great passage for us to learn and to study and to, for, for God to use it to nudge us, to bring honor to him. And Let's pause for a moment and pray together. We come, our gracious Father, we're so well aware that you are everywhere, that you are here. We ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds to understand your word today and give us wills to joyfully walk in obedience. Father, we know that we can be distracted so easily. Father, help us not to walk through and traffic through unlived truth today. Apply these things to our lives. Thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within us and empowers us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so we're so delighted to be your people today as we come to worship you and study for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Well, I mentioned as I was originally assigned here these passages, these verses 12 through 14, but then, and then a couple of weeks later, uh, I was given three more verses added on here. <laughs> so I usually take 10 minutes a verse. So six verses, I hope you don't mind me being here <laughs> An hour? That's only fair, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm just kidding you here. Yeah, anyway. But as we look at chapter 3 here and catching the flow of thought, chapter 3 begins by Paul urging the saints at Colossae to be heavenly-minded. Verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, even indicating Christ's deity there. Yeah. And we might say, well, Paul, you know, that's kind of vague there. <laughs> Seek the things above. Can you be a little more specific? Oh, sure, yeah. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. So we seek the things above by what we think, by how we think. Set your minds on the things above. It's kind of like Romans 12. You're familiar with it where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is, renewing of your mind. And of course, we renew our minds through the scriptures by the power and, and, and illumination of the Holy Spirit. Every church in every age is exposed to false teaching, certainly. Uh, we have a boatload of it today in our culture, certainly. Yeah, insidious half-truths and incipient heresies. And in chapter 2, Paul has already exposed some of these. And I'll go back just to review very quickly. But chapter 2, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. In verse 9, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he's addressing here the heresy of Gnosticism. Down in verse 11, he moves into the, the false teaching of legalism. And then verse 17, he addresses mysticism. And finally, down in verse 20, he addresses asceticism. Asceticism, you notice in verse 21, uh, verse 20 rather, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? This has to do with asceticism. And then in verse 23, he says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, 
but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So he again is addressing the, the heresies that this church in Colossae were facing. He, he expresses and addresses the subtlety of, of demonic deception. But he's already said in chapter 1 that you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom you have, whom you have, have, um, whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So that's why, coming back to chapter 3, you've been raised up with Christ. He reminds them of that. And seek the things above. In Ephesians chapter 2, he uses similar language. Language, he said, that you've been made alive in Christ. You've been raised up with him and seated in the heavenlies with him positionally. The believer has been raised up with Christ and was seated with him in the heavenlies. That's our heavenly, that's our position in Christ. And every so often people will ask me, well, David, how are you doing today? And, and sometimes I will say, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing fine as long as I keep looking down. And they always kind of go, what? No, you're supposed to look up, aren't you? <laughs> oh, I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ, aren't you? Yeah, well, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus and in a sense, of course, look up to him, but we're seated with him positionally. So in that sense, we can look down from that vantage point. I remember hearing Howard Hendricks, who was a professor of theology at Dallas Seminary years ago. He said he picked up a friend at the airport and, and as he engaged with him and, and he said to the fellow, how are you doing, pal? And the guy says, oh, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. <laughs> Howard Hendricks said, under the circumstances, what are you doing under there? He said, yeah, and we need to ask ourselves, what will we be doing under circumstances? No, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Verse 12, again in chapter 3, we are chosen of God. That's what it says. Holy and beloved. And reminding ourselves of our identity in Christ obligates and enables us to live as we are, not just as we were. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead spiritually, Ephesians will say. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. We are chosen of him, holy and beloved. And this is true of us believers, no matter how we feel about ourselves, no matter what kind of sin continues to badger us, we are always chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's what he says about us. When I was preaching here back in the 80s, I remember I referenced a book by David Needham. He was a professor at Multnomah School of the Bible. And David Needham wrote a book, it was popular at that time, it was called Birthright Christian. Do you know who you are? That was the name of the book birthright Christian do you know who you are I remember after I got done preaching a lady came up to me she she was smiling and she said you know pastor she said I know you meant birthright but you said birthmark <laughs> so, <laughs> it's always good to be humbled isn't it so so it's not birthmark no it's birthright birthright Christian do you know who you are and then I remember someone else at about that time uh, 
talked with me and she, she talked about some of the issues she was having and, and, and sin that she was addressing. But I just remember her saying something. She said, I know, she said, I know the ID truths of Scripture. Well, I'd never heard that before. But I thought about that this week. The ID truths, meaning our identification with Christ, our position in Him. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We, do not let, we ought not let other people or this world define who we are. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Seek the things above. Set our minds in the things above. There's that old looking glass image problem that I certainly have at times. It's a secular theory. And so I'll just say what it is. Some of you know what it is. But the looking glass image is that we are not who we think we are. We are not who others think we are. We are who we think others think we are. I'll say it again. So often, we are not who we think we are. We are not who others think we are. We are who others think we are. We let other people kind of define what we feel about ourselves and who we are. That's not good. No. We are holy and beloved, chosen of God. That never changes. That's our identification with Christ, our position in Him. We need to know it and remember who we are in Christ. But our position in Christ ought to go hand in hand with our practice day by day in this world. So again, I'll read verse 12 again. Chapter 3, verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Reminding ourselves of our identity in Christ obligates and enables us to live as we are, not just as we were. We're new creatures in Christ. We're chosen of Him, holy and beloved. And that ought to make its way out in daily behavior. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5 will say, If any man be in Christ, he's a new Creature or creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. In that same chapter, it says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, be the sin sacrifice on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is the great doctrine of imputation. It is so amazing to realize that, that our sin was put on Jesus' account God the Son, the perfect one, paid the price that we owed, the penalty we owed, we could not pay. Our sin was put on his account. It was imputed to him. And then his righteousness was put on our account. How can that be? <laughs> it's true. And it ought to fuel us every day of our lives to know that even though we still sin in this world, we are chosen of him, holy and beloved. And our primary ident identification is with who we are in Christ. Yes, if we're beloved of God, loved by Him, we are to put on, though, a heart of compassion. Clothe ourselves, again, verse 12, with a, a heart of compassion, with kindness, humility, or meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Because of who we are in Christ, it matters how we live before God and it matters how we treat those who belong to God as well. Yeah. So I ask as we just read this verse 12, how are we doing in, in living out 
this verse. How, how are we doing? It's easy to read it. Or we can even memorize it. Say, there, I got that down. <laughs> it's one thing to memorize it, isn't it? But another thing to live it day by day. Put on a heart of compassion toward one another. Church, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is more than just an academic exercise. Life is daily. Years ago, I, I read someone said, you know, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? Yeah, these Christ-like virtues and attitudes and actions are quite straightforward and quite easy to understand, but not quite so easy to live. Nonetheless, we're to clothe ourselves with a heart of compassion, tender, tender sympathy of, of heartfelt compassion, and with kindness, and with, with humility. Romans says we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, for God has allotted each a measure of faith. Yeah, humility. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Forget about self-esteem. Forget it. We're not to esteem self. We're never to esteem self. The believer's never to esteem self. We're to esteem others more highly than ourselves. What a challenge for us. And then gentleness or meekness. That's a good word. We've kind of lost track of meekness. That's a good word. It's not weakness. No, meekness is, is strength under control, someone had said years ago. Patience, self-restraint, especially in the face of provocation. And then verse 13 says, bearing with one another, putting up with one another, holding oneself back from one another. That's A.T. Robertson, the great the theologian, Greek scholar. That's what he actually said. Hold, this word has to do with holding oneself back from one another. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Right there in that word forgive is the word charis, which is grace. The root of that word of forgiving there is grace. To treat each other with grace, to experience God's grace and to express God's grace. We're to pardon rather than punish. And then it says, whoever has a complaint against anyone... Now you might say, well, you don't know what so-and-so did to me a few years ago. You don't know what so-and-so said about me. Sorry, no exceptions. Whoever, it says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. And why ought we be this way, being forgiving people? It says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Pretty simple, pretty compelling, isn't it? Yeah, we can't have a more genuine and sublime example than the Lord Jesus who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Where was he when he said that? He was on the cross. It's just so hard to picture that, isn't it? He who knew no sin became the sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So amazing. Yeah. Forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, is what it says. No grudges, no paybacks, 
no vengeance. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. And then he says, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. It's a serious admonition to see that no one repays back evil for evil. It's a serious admonition, but this week I was studying it. I, I reflected back in my seminary days, the first quarter in seminary studying, learning Greek and, and, and the Greek vocabulary. And the, the first, one of the first words we learned was blepo. And uh, that, that's the word in 2 Corinthians, uh, again, or 1 Corinthians, where it says, see that no one repays. See, that's the word, see, blepo. And I remember when I thought, Blapo, that could be one of the Marx brothers. <laughs> yeah, I remember Groucho and Chico and Zeppo and, and Blapo. That fits right. <laughs> I shouted that up out in class, and the professor was highly unimpressed with, with my, my, my observation. And then I didn't realize until later that there was another brother named Gummo. Did you know that? Anyway, okay, I've gotten far afield here because this is, this is really serious when it says, see that no one pays back evil for evil. This refers again to kind of a corporate vigilance. We're not just a meddle in everybody's affairs, but there's a corporate vigilance here. If we see or sense someone in a church that is retaliatory, that is vengeful, vindictive, we are admonished in 1 Thessalonians that we probably should note that and be willing to kind of address that. See that no one pays back evil for evil to anyone. And then verse 14 there again, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. Love wraps all these things together, verse 14 seems to say, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. When I read that again last week, I thought of the armor in, in, in chapter 6 when, when Paul makes reference to that we are to gird our loins with truth. If you remember that part of the armor, gird our loins with truth. And he's referring there to a belt that the, that the soldier would wear. A belt, and of course those, folks, those soldiers wore, wore tunics in those, day, in those days. And it kept them warm at night. And, but when they got up ready for battle and when they needed to engage, they would tuck that tunic into this belt. They would tuck in their tunic into this belt and allow their feet to be free to, to engage. And so that belt helped to gather in the, the tunic. But I thought of that same imagery again about love, love wrapping all these other virtues in a perfect bond of unity. Yeah, love. Seeking the highest good for other people. Love certainly biblically has emotion, affection involved. But it's more than that. It's an action word. It's seeking the highest good for someone else. Agape love. So we've got position and practice. And now, verse 15, the peace of Christ. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This is the peace that Christ gives, as he said in John chapter 14, when he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Excuse me. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That peace that, 
of Christ that he, that he gives. Ephesians chapter 2 will say, it actually says, He is our peace between the Jew and the Gentile. And again, he not only gives peace, but he establishes peace between the repentant sinner and God. Remember Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, whom we've offended more than we can ever know. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, of course, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I wonder even today, as we sit here, if, if you listen here, uh, have you been justified before God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been reconciled to Him? Do you have peace with Him? Peter will say that Jesus died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that He might reconcile us to God. I was 24 years old before God gave me ears to hear the gospel. I thought I was a Christian. I, thought I, I knew I wasn't very much of a good Christian, but the fact was I wasn't born again at all. I was still alienated. I'd never trusted him as my, as my Savior. I thought that if I try to do my best, uh, God will take a liking to me in the end, and I'll be okay. But having been justified only by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, and I would trust even in the quietness of your own heart if you've never surrendered to him, never yielded to him, you're still kind of trying to work your own way to heaven, that you would abandon that and say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Through Jesus we have peace with God, and only through Jesus we have peace with God and peace with one another in the body as we allow him to rule or umpire. You see that in verse 15 again? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural, there. Yeah, ruler, be umpire, or arbitrator in your hearts. You see, this is a heart issue, and it produces thankfulness there one more time. Another use of the root word in thankfulness, be thankful, is charis again, is grace. We need to experience God's grace and express God's grace always. Position and practice, peace of Christ. Now, thirdly, the word of Christ, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Interesting here that this is the only time in the New Testament that it says word of Christ. It's what the scholars call a hapax legomenon, meaning only once, word used only once. It's the only time it's used here. It's almost always, no, I shouldn't say almost always. It is always elsewhere in the New Testament. It's the word of the Lord or it's the word of God. It's the only place where it says the word of Christ. And I believe probably why the Holy Spirit nudged Paul to write that is because we remember that this epistle exalts Christ. He is, he is preeminent as creator of the universe. He is the head of the church. Verse 3, verse 1 again, we've been raised up with him. He is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 3, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, Christ is our very life, it says. Verse 11, Christ is all and in all. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit would prompt Paul to say, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Not just among you. It's not just a, just a formal liturgy, lifeless liturgy, the word. No, no, let the, the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell right in that, in that word is the word oikos, which has to do with home. It's home. It should feel at home in us 
You should feel at home. It should be familiar in the body of Christ, the Word of Christ. It is possible to, to read what God said, but not hear what God is saying. You follow me? It's possible to have our devotions and read the Word of God and say, good, okay, I'll have a good day now. I got that done. Oh, no, that's, that's not the way we do it, is it? No, it's possible to, to read God's Word, read what He said, but not hear what He is saying. Paul said to, the, to Timothy, to, told him to be constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine which he had been following. Verse 16, again, then Paul describes how the Word of God dwells within them and how, what that would look like as they assemble together. And you know the passage well, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's the same language as he uses in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember? And it's the same, it's the same expression there. So, so I'm, I'm thinking that Paul at least implies that being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing as letting the Word of Christ dwell within us with the same results, the same outworking, the same fruit. So practice and position Peace of Christ, word of Christ, and last, name of the Lord Jesus. And that's chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Here we see thanksgiving turning up three verses in a row along with the peace of Christ ruling, the word of Christ richly dwelling, and the name of Christ being exalted. And doing something in someone's name is to draw attention to that person. It's to give that person credit. It's to honor him. It's to put that person on display. And this is a constant challenge of God's people who live in a world of discontentment and dissatisfaction, huh? Yeah, a grumbling heart simply imitates this perverse world. But a thankful heart sees the greater work of God being, using both the joys and the jolts. You know, you know that combination in this world? Both the joys and the jolts of this life to accomplish his purpose. And we remember that Paul wrote this letter from prison. He wrote this letter from prison, but his, he focused on his position in Christ rather than on his predicament in chains. And reminding ourselves of our identity in Christ obligates and enables us to live as we are, not as we were. We're in Christ. We're not alienated from Him as we were before we were born again. Verse 17 again, whatever we do, in word or deed, whether it be a word thing or a deed thing, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking God the Father for the privilege. It's the Lord Christ whom we serve, and that makes all the difference in the world. Oh. Yes, we are chosen of God, holy and beloved. Chapter 3, verse 12. And you know, I, I write verse 12 almost every day in my journal, in my diary. I read scriptures and I write down things every day. And, and in the last 
in the last little while, I've been writing this every day to remind myself. And here's what I write. I am chosen of God, holy and beloved. I need to remind myself I was a pretty nasty, snarly person before God saved me. I can still be that way. But if I'm not careful, I'll let those old tapes play, you see. And I forget that I am chosen of God by His grace. I'm, cho I write, I'm chosen of God, holy and beloved. I am to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Yes, I do. And then I write a portion of a Bill Gaither song. I think most of us are old enough to remember Bill Gaither. He's still alive, by the way. Bill Gaither wrote, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. I'm holy and beloved, chosen of him. I can put on a heart of compassion and kindness. I am loved, I am loved, I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best loves me most. Now if that doesn't like light your fire, your wood is wet, you know. Really. The one who knows me through and through. He has searched me, he knows me. He knows when I stand up and when I sit down. He understands my thought from afar. He has scrutinized my path and my lying down, and he's intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, thou dost know it all, David said. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and has laid thy hand on me. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful, it's too high, I can't attain to it. Yeah, that's the truth. But we can believe it, right? I am loved, I am loved, I can risk loving you. The one who knows me best loves me most. How amazing that is. And because I am chosen of God, and in his eyes I am holy and beloved in Christ, then I can carry out these things in the power of the Holy Spirit and be a different person as a Christian than just the way the world lives. That's incredible, that's incredible. And I would just ask, let us let that truth fuel our spiritual lives every day, all day long, all of our lives. Bow with me just for a moment. Gracious Father, we come before you and we know that most of us or many of us know this passage pretty well. And to know and not to do is not to know at all, of course. And the Lord Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Thank you, Father, for your grace that is greater than our sin. We're so grateful today. Thank you that we can know who we are in Christ Jesus only by your work in our lives, by your initiation, and we're so grateful. But Father, you've told us to be your ambassadors. Help us to do that. Help us to be, talk about the Lord Jesus all the days that we are here, to share the gospel to those who are outside of Christ, who need to know the forgiveness in Christ. And then, Father, you've said that we're to look for, long for, and love the appearing of the Lord Jesus. So even today, we know that he may come before we're done today. Help us to truly live in a way looking for him or to, for you to call us home. And we're so grateful that we can know that we belong to you now and forever through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his resurrected power 
And we're so grateful. We come in his name. Amen.